This is Emergency Medicine Match Advice, sponsored by Academic Life and Emergency Medicine, a podcast series designed to help medical students and residents strategically navigate the process of applying for residency in emergency medicine or to EM-sponsored fellowship programs. I'm your host, Mike Gisandi from Stanford University. Let's get started. Welcome to Emergency Medicine Match Advice, sponsored by your friends at Academic Life and Emergency Medicine, and its editor-in-chief, recently back from a fabulous Hawaiian adventure, Dr. Michelle Lynn from the University thank of California, you, San Francisco. Thank you. I got like an anti-tan. It was totally rainy the whole time, uh, <laughs> but I I'm wanted, glad to be here. I wanted you tan and rested, Michelle, because are you ready for this? 2014? Yeah. 2015, 2016, 17, 18, 2019. Michelle, it is season six. Of I can't even advice. add that high. I only got this. I can only count oh this much. Gosh. You got to go the other hand. Got to go the oh, other hand. Oh, you know, it. I saw on TV that Grey's Anatomy is soon to be the longest running medical drama ever in television history. And I'm going to say, Dr. Gray, we're right we're there on behind it. you. We're, on we're never going away at this point. Never going away. <laughs> All right. So to kick off 2019, we have a very special episode. Emergency medicine match advice to promote diversity and inclusion in residency training. And to offer their sage advice on this important topic, we have three outstanding program directors, Dr. Joel Mole from Virginia Commonwealth University. Hello, Joel. Hey, how's it going, Mike? Thanks for joining us today. Dr. Tyson Pillow from Baylor College of Medicine. How y'all doing today? I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. And uh, the newest PD on the block, Dr. Bonnie Kaplan, from Denver Health. Hello, Dr. Kaplan. Hi, excited to be here. Yeah, Denver Health returning to EM Match Advice, but with new leadership. So exciting. So a few points to consider as we get started. Students may be unfamiliar with some of the terms and statistics that program directors take for granted. So I'm going to define some of them. We're going to likely use the abbreviation URM today, which refers to underrepresented minorities. Underrepresented minorities in medicine include individuals who are Black, Hispanic, Pacific Islander, and Native American. And rates of matriculation for these individuals are tracked as they progress through medical training, and most schools identify the recruitment of of underrepresented minorities as an annual dashboard goal. But we might extend the practical definition of a URM based on specialty, for instance, by gender. There are very few men entering OBGYN, so in that specialty, they may in fact be underrepresented. And for minorities not protected by federal law, such as sexual and gender minorities, there's no matriculation data for us to review. Don't Ask, Don't Tell is alive and well on applications for medical school and residency. Now, there's many issues to consider for URM students, but let's start simply with the numbers that we know. From the Association of American Medical Colleges data tables for the last academic year, there were 52,700 applicants to medical school, of which only 4,400 were black, And of those, only 1,540 matriculated. 3,200 Hispanic applicants, roughly, with 1,350 matriculates. 53 Pacific Islanders applied to med school and 23 got in. And 109 Native Americans applied to medical school and 39 matriculated. Slightly more than half of the matriculates to medical school were women the past two years. So this creates, if you're listening, a supply-demand mismatch, right? There are less than 3,000 total URM medical students graduating annually, but there are 4,523 residency programs accepting PGY-1 residents. That's a lot of residency programs without any minority residents. U.S. physicians in general don't reflect the racial and ethnic diversity of the American population of patients that they care for. 
And emergency medicine is no exception. We are a majority white, majority male specialty. Approximately 70% of the applicants to emergency medicine are white, and between 30 and 40% of the applicants are women, varying a bit year to year with a slight upward trend in the number of women entering our specialty over many decades. So panelists, we have a lot to talk about today, but I have two main questions I want to get answered. One, how do we improve the percentage of minority students entering emergency medicine? And two, once they join our residency programs, how do we promote inclusion and ensure equity? So with those very simple questions to answer, I'm gonna to turn to our first panelist, Dr. Joel Mole from VCU. And we're gonna start with question one. How do we improve the percentage of minority students entering emergency medicine? Well, obviously, Mike, you know, this is a very complex and not easy question. If it were easy, hopefully it would have been done already. But I think there's several things you look at. I think it's important. A lot of places have gone to pipeline programs to understand that you really need to get people engaged early on. Obviously, those people who get engaged and they wind up going into medicine don't necessarily choose emergency medicine. So there's other things such as visiting away programs for acting internship that can allow you to kind of promote yourself, also help mentor them and get them into the program. And I think some of those have been successful. The problem is sometimes the cost to that. And sometimes you're dealing with a robust budget and sometimes you're not. So I think in addition to those things, it's also incredibly important for mentoring. I think, you know, early on in the process, people who are interested, who are, you know, underrepresented medicine for whatever reason or under-resourced in medicine, you know, need to have the ability to have a mentor, which fortunately doesn't necessarily cost a lot of money, just time, but it's amazingly important that they understand that they have the visibility and they have the possibility of going into emergency medicine. And then finally, I think, you know, as a specialty, we have to be absolutely resolute that this is a core value. We want people to be like the patient's that we take care of in the sense of to resemble them, to look like them, to reflect them, because we are the safety net in emergency medicine. And by being a diverse and inclusive community ourselves, that helps us to be better at what we do for our patients and helps represent them better as far as our interactions and taking better care of them. And being culturally competent or culturally agile is probably a better term. So you were one of the leaders of the Academy for Diversity and Inclusion in Emergency Medicine, which is an academy of the Society for Academic Emergency Medicine. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit about your work with ADIEM, which I can never say quickly. Um, and I'd like to hear also if there's some opportunities for students and residents to get involved with the Academy's activities. Yes, I'm the immediate past president of the Academy, one of, I believe, eight academies for SIM. And it allows opportunity to kind of bring a lot of people together who are very knowledgeable, very passionate, great advocates, have all the kind of the academic tools as far as scholarship, education, research, uh, clinical service, advocacy. And it really is an amazing place to work together with people, have a meeting of the minds. Also, in addition to that, I was a founding member of the LGBT committee that also did a bunch of things with that. So together, we formed a coalition and did some research. We've done some scholarship. We presented a lot of national conferences in addition to just SAM. And so there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for medical students and residents to get involved. We have resident medical student committees. We have other committees in different areas of diversity and inclusion. And anybody who's interested in whether it's doing a research project, what's, you know, educational activities, being part of a didactic, being part of a panel, please reach out to the leadership of ADIM because we want to hear from you. You're the future and we need to invest in that future. And that's something we're very committed to doing. 
Yeah, to plug all of the Academy's activities, there's there's a, a whole host of workshops and lectures at the upcoming SAM um, 2019 meeting in Las Vegas students. So those of you who are listening to this, especially the medical students who are considering our specialty, I, I highly encourage you to come and check out the Academy and all that, that SAM has to offer in May. The other question I have, and it, you mentioned of this when your last answer, I'd like to understand what special considerations there might be for LGBTQ students who are entering our specialty. Yeah, I mean, I think there are some respects, a lot of things in common for anybody who's a minority in medicine, in the sense that you, you want to have a climate where you feel comfortable. You want to, you, know, you have to be kind of at a place of wellness in order to learn. And so obviously, if you're not comfortable being yourself, if you're not comfortable being in that circumstance, it's not going to be best for you in your own development, both personally and professionally. The difference, I think, a little bit with LGBT is sometimes you have a conscious choice whether to disclose your sexual orientation when you interview. Some people have taken the choice of not doing that, which is sometimes a shame because they have some amazing accomplishments in healthcare advocacy, amazing accomplishments in public health, you know, things like that. And you should be celebrated for that. And that should be something that helps you uh, be defined as a more capable and a more promising, you know, uh, prospect for residency program. So. But highly encourage people not to take them off their applications, things like that. Of course, that's my personal opinion. Ultimately, how you define yourself or whether you define yourself is a very deeply personal choice. And you have to do what you're comfortable with. My opinion, again, is I think if you're going to go someplace for three or four years of your life, you want to be comfortable in that. So I think people should embrace who they are. And hopefully we as a specialty, again, are the safety net for everybody and we should be accepting of everyone. What I'd like to say when I give our presentation on our residency days is everyone is welcome to come here. It doesn't matter who you are, who you come from, you know, who you love. And I think that's an important thing to state very upfront as we go recruiting. And hopefully that will help increase and recruit uh, minorities into medicine. But I think LGBT is a special situation from that standpoint. Because, you know, the hard thing about residency is a lot of residency programs, if they don't have a a special policy about you know, discrimination or if they don't have a non-discrimination statement. You know, there's a lot of states that have no protection against terminating somebody or discriminating against somebody just because they're LGBT. And so that's an additional consideration that often, you know, rears up in residency. So I understand why some people are not comfortable being out. I think it's a personal decision. You should hopefully talk to some mentors about what's the right thing you're most comfortable with. All right. Well, thanks for all that. We're going to switch to our second panelist. And I have to say, I'm so excited to have Dr. Tyson Pillow on because when I was in Chicago, I was always in awe of how great your alma mater, the University of Chicago and, and Emory University in Atlanta, both did with their long success of training very diverse classes of emergency medicine residents. And I think hat tip to both universities and their leadership for many decades uh, around this topic. So first I'd like to hear Tyson, like how, how did it happen? Like, why did it happen? What is the secret sauce at the University of Chicago? Is it a special recruitment process? Is it a success story of inclusivity? I'd really like to understand the, the history and the narrative there. Yeah, absolutely. So again, you're exactly right. University of Chicago, uh, Emory, and I will uh, boldly throw Baylor College of Medicine in that process as well, in that we are deliberate in the process. I remember very distinctly, even as an applicant uh, back, I guess it was about 2005 for myself, going around with programs, there were several different types of programs. Uh, everyone more or less understands diversity was important, but there were more or two or three types of programs uh, one was uh, the type of programs that were doing it right from day one, University of Chicago, Emory. Another program where those, there are a lot of programs, great programs that 
weren't as diverse as they would like that were actively going about it. And so we had great discussions while I was interviewing about what it takes and and how to be not only diverse, but inclusive and supportive from that standpoint. And then there are just other programs that kind of still figuring out, you know, how do you go about it? How do you uh, actually support this? How do we recruit for this? And so I think at the end of the day, it's one of those things where we've been able to mirror that success, at least uh, I boldly claim, by being incredibly deliberate from day one. I'm very proud when we do our residency spiel, as we all have when they come to see our shop. I've been told that we do one of the best spiels on diversity and LGBTQ issues and gender and everything just simply because we talk about it. So we instruct the residents to have these conversations in very uh, legal, supportive manners, not trying to screen out anybody, but trying to make sure people understand that's part of who we are. And so the, the dinners, you can look at our website and our website has our core values and diversity is included. And we've got a nice little blurb on why it's important and what we are actively trying to do. And then when you hear from us, when you get into the talk about what our program offers and how we're uh, the same but different than other programs across the country, we are right there telling you that diversity is a core value that we have and how we go about it and why we think it's important. And so I think that's one of the things when I look back at my interviews, both that, and I had the pleasure to interview at both Emory and University of Chicago as an applicant, uh, it, it, is, it is just part of who they are, right? And it doesn't even matter. Um, I, I make the uh, comments, if you think about it, uh, David Howes was the program director for University of Chicago at the time, and Philip Shane was the program director at Emory. And these are both white males in emergency medicine who have created programs that are diverse and inclusive and youth at every moment. So it's, it's not necessarily just the way that it's discussed. It's kind of turning the process of something important that we list as a value to something that's ingrained in the program itself. And so we've tried to uh, emulate that as much as possible. And I think that is... Uh, that's the secret sauce. Uh, that and uh, paprika. So once you throw that in there, that really helps. I like cilantro. That's that is put <laughs> into all of my sauces. So let's let's move away from the topic simply of recruitment, and because um, I think that's maybe interesting to program directors. Perhaps the numbers are less interesting to students, and I think they want to hear about the inclusion part of diversity and inclusion, right? So once a residency program successfully recruits an underrepresented minority student. You know, how do they promote inclusion and ensure equality or at least equity for them while they're in training? Absolutely. And that's one of the, the nice things about being in Houston. Houston has helped us set up to kind of continue that uh, inclusion environment. So at that point, I really focus on creating an environment where everyone has a voice and we actively look to include different perspectives and decisions we make, right? And so uh, the not, one of the things we've done as a program is we've tried every way possible to make sure residents have an active voice in what we're doing and how we're going about things. And I'm actually very, very proud. Uh, like you said, I, we shoot for equity uh, as much as possible, but also the idea of if this is important to us, there should be committees, there should be efforts reflecting that. So not only do we have a very robust FEM at BCM presence, and we actually formally asked Derek Cass to be able to use FEM at BCM 
as it were. Uh, but also we have, we copied the DIEM at BCM. So uh, the Academy of Diversity, Inclusion, and Emergency Medicine, we've copied that and become DIEM at BCM. So making sure that we have committees that are represented across the board and those committees, resident and student involvement, create that environment where if we don't have something we need, here's the pathway to get it in there, right? If there are things we can do better. And, you know, a lot of times too, I'll I'll fully admit in the process of doing things, for example, we had a recent panel where despite all of our efforts of our faculty, there was two women and the rest men. And so that was one of the things where we said, okay, look, we're trying, we're doing our best, and we still had this issue happen. Let's look at ourselves. Let's make sure we are just as uh, active in that adaptability process with the faculty and the things we develop post-matching as we are in the recruitment process. And so I think the, the, the overall message with how to create that inclusivity is to create pathways for people to have input and to actively look at yourself past the recruitment standpoint. So every day, what are we trying to do to make sure that people feel supported? So I like that. And I really think it's brilliant to link to national organizations, right? Fem at BCM, linking to um, Fem and M, the national group. I think that's brilliant. It helps, I think, residents feel like they're not just part of a small family, but part of a much larger movement. So I think that's awesome. So once they leave the very inclusive cocoon, of BCM, and they go out into the wild world of post-residency employment, are there other considerations for diversity, inclusion? Like what what's yeah. what yeah. else should be on the resident's mind as they're looking for jobs? Because I think students who are considering emergency medicine, they're unsure what the yeah. job market looks like later, what they're thinking the same thing. Yeah. I think on multiple levels at that point, we've had the privilege to have some great direct conversations with everyone. And then at the end of the day, one of the things I tell both students kind of uh, looking for residencies and then residents looking for jobs is that you have to be active. And the way we tell them to be active is to actively brand yourself, right? And so when so many times where, especially with emergency medicine being so competitive and then job markets, certain job markets being so competitive, you're willing to, at least you tell yourself, you're willing to go anywhere, do anything just to have that job or just to have that spot, when uh, in actuality, that may not be the best thing for you. I think if you're able to start to look at yourself and define your, your values and to, again, start to brand yourself, who am I? What am I bringing to the table? What are my strengths and how do I fit into, as a student uh, trying to become a resident, how do I fit into this program? But then as a resident looking for a job, how do I fit into the culture of this job market and in these specific jobs? I think you're going to be in positions where you're going to have some tough decisions, but that's the right place to have them. You're going to go to great places. They're going to train you to be a great physician that don't fully match what you consider your values or your branding. And that's perfectly okay. And so I think it's a huge sort of focus for us when we talk about these things is that especially residents in Houston market, we are known to have a little bit more dollar signs behind the the contract, right? And a little bit more Tesla behind that first car, those sort of things. And so you, I have so many conversations with residents and absolutely, it is wonderful to now get a check that now has six figures instead of five, right? 
I get it. That's wonderful. But really looking at the long game, looking at the things that are going to bring you satisfaction, it's knowing who you are, knowing which of those aspects are important, and then looking for those places and having the tough conversations. I can't tell you how many people go into interviews and make no mention of any of these things that are important, right? And so we, we do. We have to change the culture, too. And I think if we all push that, we can start to demand more of our employers as well, right? What are the things you're doing to support diversity and inclusion, right? I've looked at the website. Why are there only one female in leadership over the past X number of years? And actually pushing these sort of conversations to, to create a better environment for all of our EM community. All right. Well, thank you. And we're going to round out our all-star panel with another all-star. Dr. Bonnie Kaplan is here from Denver Health, a program that I think has had much success in the development of policies and programs specifically designed to welcome underrepresented minority student rotators to Denver. And I think ultimately transition into very successful matches for uh, their their program. So hat tip to Jeff Druck and Ben Hogman and others um, who've championing this issue at Denver over the years. They've set a standard, I think, for these uh, programs and policies. And now these recruitment programs are popping up all over the nation. Everyone can see the SCORE program at Stanford, just saying. So, Bonnie, I want to hear a little bit about the origin of these programs. What was the initial rationale? And and what lessons did you guys learn as you sort of set, set the bar for the rest of the country? Um, well, I'm super excited to be here. And I just want to add a couple other hats off to some of these others that are, um, really did some amazing work. So Jeff Druck, as well as Dallin Boatwright, who was our chief resident at the time, and Christy Angerhofer, who is our program coordinator extraordinaire. Um, I think we all have one of those, um, really set the tone because they started noticing that we weren't having as many underrepresented minorities as we wanted uh, to come and see what we were all about, all about, and then ultimately come and hang out with us um, and train with us. So this started in 2012 with discussions around then, um, and it was really instituted between the years 2013 and 2014. I had just graduated from residency then, so I can claim no uh, (laughs) allegiance um, support from the sidelines uh, of this great work. Um, And they really substantially increased the look of who was coming, who was being interviewed by as far as URM go. So we went from like 6.2% to 17.6%. So we really increased who was being interviewed. And then we wanted to increase uh, URM that were choosing us and then we were choosing them. Um, and that went from 7.1 to 14.8%. The rationale was um, we need to get people in the door to understand how diverse Denver actually was and who our patients were and so that we could better take care of our patients and we could also be better doctors. So that was the rationale behind it. Um, and I really uh, think it really paved the way. And I have to add in Maria Moriera, who was the program director before me, who really led the way in making this happen, which I'm super excited to continue. So that's a program that started several years ago. I would assume now you have a comprehensive recruitment strategy at your program. Can you tell us a little bit about what the overall strategic plan is when it comes to welcoming underrepresented minority applicants? Absolutely. Um, So we have a diversity externship, which is highlighted for what they did. um, And we take about 10 applicants a year and it is a funded, it's a scholarship. um, So there's funding for them to come and to rotate with us. They are paired with specific mentors that have been handpicked 
Um, we just are bringing on another chair, diversity chair, to lead the program as well. Uh, they meet frequently. We also spend time in the community and they work with people such as Katie Bakes, where they're doing pipeline programs with our at-risk youth in uh, the community, which is phenomenal. Really getting into Denver's community and trying to understand um, what is going on and meeting with those students, teaching them, spending time with them, mentoring them, showing around the emergency department as well. They also meet with an assigned associate program director who really talks to them through the process, tries to make sure that they are getting the full benefit of what that experience looks like. And then they have a second look as well, which is also a scholarship where they come back and that's university-wide. So that's University of Colorado-wide in multiple specialties so they can understand, get some mentorship as well as understand what Denver is all about. The other thing that's really important is that we believe that it's just like was said before, that we have to be very thoughtful moving forward um, and that this is critical and very important so we can take the best care of our patients and we can be the best physicians we can be. I think that's awesome. It's more than just giving the visiting student a pot of money so that they can do the rotation. But once they come to the rotation, that their experience is substantively different than perhaps the other students and that they really get a patient-centered or community-centered view of Denver and Denver Health both. I think that's amazing. That That's really bright. I love that. I'm, I may blatantly copy it. I love it. Um, <laughs> Sounds great. All right. So once they match with you guys, what does inclusion look like for those residents at Denver Health? Yeah. So we have the same idea. We have um, key mentors that work all of our students. A lot of the people that match with us tend to really be interested in our community. Um, and so we make sure that they have opportunities to work in our community. I would say, I always like to say that we can always do better. There are a lot of initiatives and activities that are going on. I've heard already some amazing things today that I would love to talk more about um, and bring that back to the table for us from the national organizations to to being very thoughtful um, about uh, going forward and, and how things are going. But I think the keys are really mentorship, building that community in a very deliberative way, and then really setting expectations that this is important, this is critical to who we are, and this is critical to taking care of our patients. You know, I think Michelle is still in Hawaii on vacation because she's been ridiculously quiet during this panel. Because I'm and taking her seriously to try to steal like an artist all of y'all's ideas. There you go. That's right. Uh, what, Michelle, what are your thoughts after hearing? I, I mean, those a lot are of some amazing, amazing ideas. There are. I mean, I think I find a lot of parallels with two things, like in the business world on a more global sense diversity is the win. I mean, this is the only way you're going to find blind spots, right? Is through diversity. So it just blows my mind that we have to be intentional and thoughtful. Like, should we do diversity? Like, this is not even a question. Diversity is a win on all fronts, even from like the business front. So that makes sense. The second parallel I draw is with like wellness and burnout. We could try to fix it on an individual level, but if you're not intentional from a systems level, which you guys are all doing, it's not going to be fixed. And, and I love kind of how intentional you are, making sure people are at the seat of the table. There's a national level thing. There's a resident level diversity inclusion. And then there's the recruitment end. And now I know where to point all of my advisees towards if they have specific questions. But short of all of them stalking the three of you at home, I'm trying to figure out how I can scale this better for the listeners on the group who are all presumably senior medical students. How do they find mentors besides me giving them your home numbers? You know, there's lots of opportunities. I mean, in your own shop, if there's not people, almost every organization, in fact, probably every organization, emergency medicine, not just SAM, uh, but ASAP, EMRA, AAM, they all have opportunities to get involved with things like diversity and inclusion. And so there's committees, there's subgroups, 
both in the resident level and also at the faculty level. And, you know, these are people who are advocates, who are dedicated, who want to mentor. This is what their passion is. So reach out to us. I mean, you know, reach out to those communities. And I think you're going to find a lot of wealth of information, wealth of knowledge, wealth of experience. And that's what we're here for. I think one of the ways I usually advise about this is I remind them. So EM is your chosen specialty. And once you match as a student, barring uh, many, a few other things, you're going to graduate and be an employable EM physician. And so at that point, you now got to actively grab this by the horns, as it were. I think not only are you trying to look at national organizations and trying to find a mentor, you're asking anybody and everybody you can possibly find to help you out. And I think that's a skill that is not commonly taught, but there are national meetings for uh, various organizations. So I know I'm going to pronounce it wrong, so I apologize, but BNGAP. Uh, has an uh, LGBTQ-oriented meeting coming up in New York in May. NMA, National Medical Association for Underrepresented, so African-American physicians, LMA for Latinos. There are lots of options, and as well as showing up at SAM, at ASAP, I would even say even CORD, if it happens to be local or close enough drive, and finding people and asking, not only introducing yourself, but asking, hey, I would like to be successful. I see someone like you and I want to emulate the things you do. Is there a possibility that you can help me? Give me some advice or point me in the right direction. What I tell students as much as possible, and actually, Michelle, you said, other than giving out our numbers, uh, my wife would kill me if you gave out my number, but you could definitely send out my email because I try my best to meet with every student that gets to me at least once and then purposely funnel them towards other great people I know are doing great things who just might not be as tech uh, hooked up as I am or as accessible, weren't at that meeting or whatever it may be. But my big message is as a student, look for opportunities and don't be afraid to say, hello, my name is so-and-so. Uh, would you be interested in mentoring me or would you know someone who, who could? And look for those meetings where you know these issues are discussed, these things are important, and people want to help. I think that's one of the big messages, too. People want to help. We're just, we're just having some issues in figuring out how to connect those that need the advice to those that want to give it. A lot of great things uh, were said. I don't have much to add except to really second that I think EM is a really amazing specialty, and we really like helping out um, each other and students and mentoring students. So Again, reach out to us via email. Um, I've, in my short course as a program director, done the same thing. I will talk to you on the phone. I'll email you back. Um, and if I don't know someone, I can connect you with someone who does. And um, it's okay to put yourself out there. I personally think we love that. And so we're here to support you in any way we can. I love it. Well, to close our wonderful panel discussion, we want to give our panelists a chance to plug their programs, Michelle's favorite part of each episode. So we're going to start with Dr. Mold from VCU. I'm going to tell you, I was at first and second round when VCU became like a big thing in the NCAA. And that's about all I really know about VCU. So you've got a lot of leeway to tell me something I don't know about Virginia Commonwealth. Well, I can pot on and try to, you know, be uh, Tyson and Stanford uh, comments like you're making and saying we're all better, but uh, we'll, we'll be nice about that. No, I'm just kidding. But 
you know, we actually have an amazing place to train. We have a very large, busy academic emergency department that is, you know, high acuity, you know, level one trauma center, we're comprehensive, everything pretty much with the FASA is right next to, you know, very large underserved committed mission. And so, you know, part of what we've done in the last several years is try to really develop that, have that as a core value of who we are as a program. You know, so diversity and inclusion certainly is a key part of that, but also just caring about your patients, caring about your community and kind of understanding that, you know, we get a gift every single day from the patients that we take care of because we learn by taking care of them. And so we really want to be respectful and honestly, amazingly um, giving back to that. So I think that's something that's important for us. Um, you know, I think a lot of people sometimes don't know Richmond, have not been to Richmond, don't necessarily have the idea of what Richmond is, which is actually a really amazing, vibrant, fun river city with a lot of recreation, you know, big foodie and craft beer scene, lots of history from Native American on through a cutting edge vibe. It's a really kind of just amazing place that when people come and spend time here, I mean, people don't want to leave. They really enjoy it. So I think we offer a great program combined with a great city. And, and I would ask people to uh, give us some thought and we're happy to provide all kinds of information. And hopefully you'll consider us as, as we build what we hope to be a premier program in the country. All right. Next up, Dr. Pillow, you were the inaugural program director at uh, Baylor. And I know that uh, in a few months, you'll be stepping down. So I think it's really an appropriate time to tell me something I don't know about Baylor College of Medicine. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm pretty bold. I'm going to throw this out there. Here's what I want you to think the next time you think of us. University of Chicago, Emory, Baylor College of Medicine. There should be three on that list. I have been blessed. My word is blessed, privileged, fortunate, whatever word you may use to be at a program that got it right from inception from day one. And you can see that in our family, our alumni, our current residents. I mean, but even our faculty, our staff, Baylor College of Medicine itself, Houston, we really have a lot going for ourselves. And we're very, very active. I'm very proud. I'm looking up. I wrote numbers down a while ago for another talk, but I'm looking up. We're 58% females right now. We're uh, 40% URM, 60 or 70% UIM, which includes uh, LGBT, gender, et cetera. So underrepresented in medicine, as it were, a total. And it is part of who we are. And I absolutely believe there are some outstanding training programs across the country. Each and every one brings unique aspects. Our focus has been not only uh, from the standpoint of service to our patients, education embedded in what we do in leadership, but also uh, diversity, resident-driven program, and really doing our best to to walk the walk every single day. So very happy to be on a great panel of people. Um, I missed the memo about Michelle being in Hawaii because I feel like there could have been some like flight deals or things thrown in there to include me. But outside of that, happy to be on this panel today and uh, very proud of who we are and what we bring to the table. All right. Thanks. And uh, lastly, Dr. Kaplan, you have the hardest job on the panel because we've had Denver Health on the program before. And I may know a lot of things about Maria and all, all of her ideas and programs and policies. So come on, help us out. Tell us something we don't know about Denver Health. Gosh, this is this is a tall order, especially coming after everyone else. Um I hopefully will echo a lot of Maria's uh, words, and that is we are a really also mission-driven place who feel really lucky to get to take care of the people we get to take care of with the people and work with the people that we do. 
And I would love for people to come out and really get to know Denver and Denver Health and the residency. Now there are, uh, you will train at two level one trauma places um, because Denver Health is a level one as well as the university. Um, We spend all your time and the people are just phenomenal. I would say that emergency medicine in general, but definitely come and meet us and come and learn about our community. It is a fantastic place and the food is really great now. (laughs) <laughs> in the last 10 years that I've been here. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm making a plug. Um, the food is really great now. Super excited to be on this panel. Thank you so much for including me. Of course, of course. Michelle, final thoughts before we close for the day. No, I think you guys have put it perfectly so well about just making sure that everyone is represented at the grown-up table to have a say in all of the major decisions. So with that, I, I wish you aloha, which is both hello and goodbye. Aloha. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. How long have you been waiting to use that? I've been waiting the whole <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this episode of Emergency Medicine Match Advice. You can view any of our episodes for free on Alien's YouTube channel, or if you prefer, listen to the episodes as Alien Podcasts on SoundCloud. Also, check out summaries of our episodes as blog posts on Alium.com and in the publication A User's Guide to the Alium EM Match Advice Series in the June 2017 issue of the Western Journal of Emergency Medicine. We love to hear from our listeners. Post your questions or comments for any of our episodes on Alium.com. Thanks for joining us.